Let us pray. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, once again we come before you and thank you for your grace and your mercy, for upholding us by your power, and pray that you would continue to <clears throat> watch over and keep us as we endeavor to worship you in this capacity. Pray for strength of voice, presence of mind, and that the things that would be said would be in agreement with your word and honoring unto you. We can just go through the motion and we don't want to do that. We know that we live in frail bodies. We look forward to the day when we shall be with you in a sinless body a body that will not be hindered in our praise and devotion unto You, our great God and Savior. As John so eloquently said, we know not what we shall be, but we know that we shall see our darlings Thy darling Son, as He is, and we shall be like Him. It seems so far off and so distant. It seems like a tale that is told. And yet we know that there's more substance to it than that. We would that all men would see the beauty of the glory of the Lord. And yet we are made aware that our Lord prayed upon one occasion that He thank you that these things are hidden from the wise and the prudent and are revealed unto babes, and that it seemed good in your sight that such should be the case. It does grieve our heart to see some reject this truth. It grieves our heart to see people who are enemies of thine and hate the very Son of God that you sent into the world for the salvation of your people. We know that someday every knee shall bow 
and every tongue shall confess. And it, it appears that some will confess with gritted teeth. We read in thy book of some that curse you as they gnaw their tongues for pain because of their hatred and animosity to you and because of the judgment that is poured out upon them because of their sins. We hear of some who so foolishly and brutish speak about the fact that if they are in hell, that they will uh, grit their teeth and take it when they little know. Oh, our God, life is real, salvation is real, and hell is real. John makes this quite plain in this little epistle. He does not speak with elevated language of flowery words and philosophical concepts, just speaks the plain truth. Clear, simple, precise, and yet quite profound. It is indeed amazing how some people in their writing of hymns and poetry can say so much with so few words. And yet this little epistle is exponentially greater than the hymns of men. And so much is said in this epistle. There's quite a bit that we kindly hurriedly go over. Not meaning to uh, diminish the truth of your word, but we can only comprehend and take in so much. And then because of our own ignorance and blindness of mind and heart, there's so much that we do not see nor understand. But I pray, my God, that you would intervene and speak to our hearts to your glory and honor, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We left off this morning. We were looking at verse 5, speaking about the concept of love and as 
One writer said, It is worthy of remark as showing the remarkable influence of Christian thought on speech that the Greek word translated love in our English version is a word, as one Greek scholar said, that is born within the bosom of revealed religion. It occurs in the Septuagint, but there is no example of its use in any heathen writer whatsoever. And to this it may be added the fact that is equally suggestive that the ordinary Greek word for love, a word tinged with sensual passion, that is the word we spoke this morning of eros, never once occurs in the New Testament. The gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ baptized language afresh as well as souls, in finding no word great enough and pure enough to express the central truth revealed by the Incarnation that God is love, created a new word, and revealed the new truth concerning God. So we see that uh, there's much... uh, included in this word agape for love. And as we have explained many times, true biblical love, that is godly love, is not a love of feeling first. It is a love of obedience, a love of action. Now, feeling is involved in this love because when one devotes much of his time and energy into a person, obviously the feeling comes forth. And so we can see that. You know, we have used this, uh, these verses many times to show that this word love carries the idea of action uh, before it carries the idea of feeling. You know, John 3.16, that famous passage, For God so loved the world that He, what? Gave. He loved that He gave. And then in uh, Galatians 2.20, Paul said, Christ loved me and gave Himself for me. And in Ephesians 5, Christ loved the ecclesia and gave Himself for it. Loved the church, gave Himself for it. And you see that the concept of love is not this idea that the concept of biblical love is not this idea that we see uh, in Hollywood or in uh, most people's actions today, but it carries that concept of giving of oneself 
to the point of sacrifice. The giving of oneself to the point of sacrifice. If husbands and wives on the general scale of society today will give of themselves to the point of sacrifice for the other, there will be very few marriage breakups. But we find people are so captivated by their emotions and they are just so in love, as they would say, with each other that they uh, just have to be together and sad today sad to say that today uh, most people don't even uh, take up uh, marriage. They just shack up. And they just have to be together. But let one do something that the other doesn't like and everything just explodes and falls apart. But that's not what biblical love is. We who love the Lord do not fly off the handle and run away from serving God at the least little opposition. The only reason that we continue to serve God is because God has worked His love in our hearts. Now, we're tempted to do that. You know, sometimes with the slightest opposition comes along, we just want to just throw up our hands and say, what's the use? But we don't. We don't. Because the love of God resides in the hearts of His people. Jesus Christ, when uh, one is regenerated by the Holy Spirit, instills a love in the hearts of His people. I like and have quoted very often from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 9, where Paul tells the Thessalonian saints, now these, uh, these people that Paul is writing to, they've only been Christians for uh, a few months. In fact, it's believed that Paul wrote this epistle back to the Thessalonians within uh, at least three months, maybe shorter, after he had left. But notice what he said. But as touching brotherly love, ye need not that I write unto you, for ye yourselves are taught of God to love one another. You see, beloved, it's no accident that you love the people of God. Even sometimes when they are unlovable. We 
uh, a couple of you live together. And sometimes uh, each one of you or one of the other rubs the other the wrong way. But you continue to live with each other for years just simply because not only of a natural love, but of a spiritual love, one to the other, one to the other. We are sinners. But the reason sinners continue to love other sinners that are of the Lord is simply because God has instilled that love in them. And notice this. But he, but whosoever keepeth his word, that is, he who is continually keeping the word of God, in him, verily, is the love of God perfected. That means it is complete. It is full grown. Doesn't mean that it's sinless. There is a gradation that you know Him in 1 John 2 3. Talks about knowing Him. In 1 John 2 5, it talks about that we are in Him. In 1 John 2 6, it says we abide in Him. Therefore, you see knowledge, fellowship, and abiding constancy. Beloved, I don't know how to impress upon you the knowledge that you have, and we'll see more about this as we go on in this epistle. And I'm kind of getting ahead of myself in doing this, but you know the Lord and you know what the world does not know. They have no concept. You have family members. We all do. We have neighbors. We may have some friends. That if we were to get down to the brass tacks of talking about the things of, the, of God, they have no concept of what we're talking about. They're totally in the dark. Totally in the dark. And you say it's so simple. Why do they not understand? Simply because their eyes are not open. How do you know that? 
They don't live according to the commandments. They live their life. And if you were to talk about, you know, you may be around a bunch of friends and family members, say for Thanksgiving. And people say they're thankful for their health. They're thankful for this, that, or the other. And they may be thankful for some of the very same things that you're thankful for. But when it comes down to the true understanding of love and obedience to the gospel of God, they're foreign. They don't know what that is. But Jesus said, or excuse me, John said here, of course it's written by inspiration, Whoso keepeth his word, in him verily the love of God is perfected. The love of God is perfected. I'm reminded of what our Lord said, and I've read it so many times. I'll go back again in John 14. I'm reminded of what our Lord said there. John chapter 14. Verse 21, He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. And he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him and will manifest myself to him. And then Judas Iscariot, I mean Judas, not Iscariot, sorry about that, Ask the question, Lord, how is it that Thou will manifest Thyself unto us and not unto the world? Everybody has, uh, has access to a Bible. Last I heard, it was still uh, right up there, if not number one bestseller book. And how is it? How is it that God manifests Himself to His children and not to the world? Well, Jesus answers it in verse twenty-three: If a man love me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him, and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. He that loveth me not keepeth not my sayings. Sound like what John is saying there in chapter 2 of his epistle. And the word which ye hear is not mine, but the Father's which hath sent me. Which sent me. So you can see that keeping the commandments of God. are directly proportional to our love and fellowship with the Father. To our love and fellowship with the Father. You know this, and I know this, 
And I have to preach to myself continually. And you have to preach to yourself continually. But when we get down in what we call the mully grubs and get to feeling sorry for ourselves and all such as that, it is essentially because we've taken our eyes off of His Word. We're looking at self instead of the Scriptures and doing what God would have us to do. Not long ago, I was talking to someone and they had asked me how I was doing and I said, well, uh, really I'm not doing too well because I'm not practicing what I preach. You see, preachers have this same problem as you do. We're all sinners. And we have to be reminded again and again and again and again. And we will have to be reminded as long as we are living in this world because we're sinners. We want to take the easy way out. Along this line, I want to give you a quote from Matthew Henry. He said, What knowledge of Christ can that be which sees not that He is most worthy of our entire obedience? Is He not worthy of our entire obedience? And yet, so often we look at ourselves instead of Him. Henry went on to say, And a disobedient life shows there is neither religion nor honesty in the professor. Now, notice he says a disobedient life. He doesn't say that sometimes we become disobedient. It's the whole lifestyle of disobedience. There's no religion. There's no honesty in the professor. I trust that I do not live a disobedient life. I do know that I'm disobedient often. I do know I need to repent often. And I do know that I need to ask God uh, for forgiveness often and do so. And we will be plagued with that as long as we live. But John, what John wrote here is still the truth. Kenneth Weist said of this, This love is brought to its complete completion or perfection in the sense that it accomplished that for which it is intended, namely, to cause the saint to obey God's Word. Not because he should. Not because it is right to do so. Not in order to escape chastisement should he disobey it. All of which motives may enter into the subconscious reasons he may have for obeying it 
and which in themselves are proper motives. But he obeys the Word because he loves the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, again, let me reiterate. We said this love is brought to completion or perfection in the sense that it accomplished that for which it intended, namely, to cause the saints to obey God's Word, not because He should, not because it is right to do so, not in order to escape chastisement should He disobey, all of which motives may enter into the subconscious reasons he may have for obeying it in which themselves are proper motives. But he obeys the Word because he loves the Lord Jesus Christ. He obeys the Word because he loves the Lord Jesus Christ. I Think of my father, my earthly father. I knew that he was a uh, strict individual in many ways. And I knew that if I did not do as he required, there would be consequences. But I desired to obey my Father because I loved Him. I did not want to do anything that would bring shame to Him or to the barber name. You know, we live in a different generation today. I wanted to please my father because I loved him. I wanted to please my mother because I loved her. And the regret that I have most of all is that I did not please them more. That's the regret that I have most of all with regard to my parents. And I believe that I can honestly say that I want to please my Lord Jesus Christ because I love Him. I love Him. True, I don't want to be chastened for disobedience. True, I want the blessings and the benefits but I believe that I can honestly say I desire to obey Him because I love Him. And I can also say, as the hymn goes, Oh, for grace to love Him more. Oh, for grace to love Him more. Kenneth Wiest, uh, in his comments, gave an expanded translation of this verse. And I thought it good. I wrote it down. He said, 
But whosoever habitually is with a solicitous care, keeping his word truly, in this one the love of God has been brought to its completion. With the present result that it is in that state of completion. In this we have an experimental knowledge that we are, that in Him we are. Notice what he says here in verse 5 again. But whoso keepeth his word, in him verily is the love of God perfected. And hereby, by this, we know that we are in Him. We know that we are in Him. You know, going back to the example I gave of my earthly father, the only time that I ever thought that my father really didn't love me is when I wanted what I wanted instead of what he wanted. That's because I was selfish. That's because I was selfish. And the only time that we think that God doesn't love us is when we too are caught up in our own selves more than we are in the love of Him. This is the reason He says, Whosoever keepeth His word, the love of God is perfected, and hereby we know that we are in Him. (coughs) Do you not have that blessed assurance that Jesus is mine as you're walking in obedience with Him and loving His commandments and desiring to follow in Him? Now notice verse 6. It seems like John is just intensifying this more and more. He that saith he abide in him, he that saith he abideth in him, ought himself also so to walk, even as he walked. Strong exhortation, is it not? Sounds like what our Lord said, Be ye holy, for I am holy. Or as Peter wrote, Be ye holy, as God is holy. He that saith, Present active participle. In other words, the man that is saying that he abides in Christ. In other words, he who professes to be continually abiding without any intermission and continues to the end, he is saying a continuous performance not a spasmodic spurt. To continue this idea to abide 
to dwell, to remain. He that abides. You know what it is to abide. Where do you live? That's where you abide. That's where you eat your meals. That's where you take your baths. That's where you sleep, you rest. That's where you are out of the, uh, the, out of the storm. That's where you're safe from the world. We are to abide in Him. Having that fellowship, that dependence, that harmony with Him. Look at Matthew chapter 10. Jesus said to those disciples that He sent out, and, to, and into whatsoever city or town ye shall enter, inquire who in it is worthy, and there abide. There abide till ye go thence. This is that word, abiding in Christ. Stay there. Live there. Have fellowship there. Look at Matthew 26. This is where Peter, excuse me, where Jesus goes to Gethsemane. And He takes Peter, James, and John with Him. But in verse 38, Then saith he to them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful, even unto death. Tarry ye here and watch with me. That word tarry ye is abide. Stay here. Don't go anywhere else. Enter into prayer with me. This is this idea of Abiding in Christ. Look at Luke chapter 1. <coughs> Verse 56, this is where Mary went down to Hebron to visit Elizabeth. And Mary abode with her about three months and returned to her own house. The word abode. Mary lived with Elizabeth for three months. <coughs> this is this word to abide. In Luke chapter 8, Verse 27. And when he went forth to the land, 
There met him out of the city a certain man, which had devils long time, and there and wear no clothes, neither abode in any house but in the tombs. This is this Gadarean. That's where he lived. <coughs> Luke nineteen. Verse 5, And when Jesus came to the place, He looked up and saw him and said unto him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must abide at thy house. And then John, the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verses 38 and 39, Then Jesus turned and saw them following and said unto them, What seek ye? And they said unto him, Rabbi, which is to say, being interpreted, Master, where dwellest thou? Where do you live? Where do you abide? And he said unto them, Come and see. And they came and saw where he dwelt and abode with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. We could give many other places, but you get the idea where John said in his epistle in chapter 2 and verse 6, He that saith he abide in him ought himself so to walk even as he walked. If you are abiding in Christ, you're going to be walking like Christ. You won't have it the same Completion is Christ, but you'll be following Christ as your pattern. Several years ago, there was a book written, What Would Jesus Do? Well, uh, that was good up to a point, because there are some things that Jesus would do and should do that we shouldn't. First of all, we can't shed our blood for our sins. But yet at the same time, there is an element of truth in that. What would Jesus do? One of our ministers uh, many years ago took that book and had a little group that they met and tried to live according to that for a while, and uh, uh, I don't want to get off into that, but uh, there was some, there's some benefit to that book, though not all, and I don't want to go into all of that. But this much we know, that we ought to walk as He walked, and that word ought, that Greek word ought, is present, active, indicative. That means continuous action. That's what our everyday life is. It's not that we start out and stop. And the meaning of the word ought means to owe or to owe money or to be in debt. 
to be under obligation and bound by duty or necessity to do something. In other words, beloved, we are indebted to our Lord Jesus Christ to walk as He walked. It's not an option. It's not an option. Is summing up the life of Christ on earth. He's walking as He walked. We'll jump ahead. 1 John 3.3 3. And every man that hath this hope in Him purifieth himself even as He that is Christ is pure. 1 John 3.5 and ye know that He was manifested to take away our sins, and in Him is no sin. Verse 7, Little children, let no man deceive you. He that doeth righteousness is righteous, even as he that is Christ is righteous. Verse 16, Hereby perceive we the love of God, because He laid down His life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Chapter 4, verse 17. Herein is our love made perfect, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as He is, so are we in this world. In other words, God's children act like Christ. That's the reason they were called Christians. They look like Christ. Lutherans were people that believed like Luther, and so on and so forth. Christians are people that believed and lived like Christ. And this Christ-like life that is admonished to us in verse 6 must be continuous, habitual movement. Movement by movement, experience of the believer. It's not spasmodic. It's not here and there. It's not infrequent. It's not a spurt and a go and a stop and a go and a stop and a go. It's a life. A life. Well, we did get through verse 6. Lord willing, the next time we'll take up about the new commandment. But I trust that these verses have been thought-provoking, if nothing else, and hopefully encouraging to live like Christ. Let us pray. Our Father, we realize and know that we do not live as fully and sinfully as our Lord did. But I do pray that our life would be in the same manner as that of the Lord Jesus. Help us to 
recognize that as our life stacks up with His Word. When we look at ourselves, we, like Paul, confess that in me that is in my flesh dwells no good thing. And we don't want to be like the Pharisee that thanked you that he wasn't like that publican. We don't want to be self-righteous. We don't want to be haughty. We don't want to be high-minded. But we do want to be living our lives in conformity to Your Word on a continual basis. We will have that struggle of the old man and the new man until our departure or the coming of the Lord. But help us to be balanced in it in such a way that Your love is perfected in us. And that we can know that we have the life of Christ in us. And that we manifest that life simply because we love Him and for no other reason. We ask in Jesus' name, Amen.